0: Welcome to Still Not Asking for It, a podcast brought to you by Hope Harbor, a Sexual Trauma Recovery Center. I'm your host Elena, and in this episode, Mel G and I have Cree die on to discuss how we can heal our communities and heal ourselves. I first met Cree when she was teaching a free yoga class on WKU's campus for Hope Harbor during April, which is Sexual Assault Prevention Month. This was back in 2019, and I've been such a huge fan of Cree um, and her yoga and just her philosophy, and I'm just so excited um, about this episode. We address a lot of things like shame about our bodies, anger, how we're all connected. Uh, we get really into it. So without further ado, here is Dr. Lucretia Dye.
1: Hello. So I will introduce myself as I come into this space as the daughter, the great, 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 great granddaughters, the vision of all these amazing beams and amazing beams of light that have passed through time, right? I come into this space as an extension of those beams of light. I come into this space as... My grandma Lily B's favorite grandchild to say, Girl, you cry about everything. (laughs) I come into this space as my daughter, my mom's daughter, and just purpose of living, it seems sometimes as the person she said, you know, you can talk. (laughs) Because I can talk, y'all. So I come into this space as like just everything that I am, everything that my ancestors have been, everything that I will be. I come into this space, and you know what that equals? Love. Y'all hear me? It just equals love. So I'm um, Cree die. Well, here, let's say my government name, Lacretia <laughs> Tanise die or Cree. Back in back in the hood where I'm from, they call me Cresha or Cree. And <laughs> who am I in regards to what makes people want to hear what I got to say? Y'all know what? Usually cause it's a doctor, because there's a doctor on there. People yeah, you've to. earned it. You've earned yeah, it. You throw
2: that around, throw it everywhere.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I usually don't because y'all want to know why this. I'm not joking. This was influenced by this. My grandma used to run a addictions facility mm-hmm. and she my grandma, because she grew up in Mississippi, this is my black grandma. Y'all know I got my black grandma, and my white grandma. My black grandma grew up in Mississippi and growing up in Mississippi, she ended up at initially only able to get a sixth grade education. And then she was able to go back and get her GED. But that wasn't a normal thing for um, young Black, during that time, Black people or Black girls especially, right? And so she ended up starting off in the kitchen of an addictions facility and then she ended up running the joint. So then all the, psycho, the psychologists, That's the awesome. social workers, everybody with master's degrees and PhDs, they essentially worked under her. So you y'all wanna know what? I remember her saying because I actually did my very first internship there. My very first internship was there and she said to me one time, she said, now you know, It's a whole lot of educated fools. (laughs) She said, these people come up in here with MW and MSW and Dr. This and Dr. That. And she said, and a lot of them don't know shit. (laughs) I I don't deny it. It's like in a PhD program, when you're training, you learn that you really, when you start getting exposed to all the things that you could possibly know, you learn that you know nothing. Right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm like all the time, like what do I really know? Am I really an expert on this? But I've studied it, but it's like so much more to know. Right. Yeah.
0: There's always, yeah. There's always more to learn. There's always so
1: much. Yeah. Growth opportunity. What is your PhD in? So, okay, my PhD. So I went to a program that was counselor ed and counseling psych, like slash counselor education, counseling sli- psych. A lot of people don't understand the difference between counselor education and counseling psych. Most people just hear about psychologists and the, ch- the difference is really rooted in how we approach wellness and healing. So psychology is very much from kind of a deficit pay, kind of the medical model from this deficit lens of like, what? let's look at the problem and focus on that. Where wellness is both preventative and counselor education is more preventative. Um, you get a lot of psychoed stuff, but it's both sides of it. It's on this side of preventative and then also on the responsive side. and w- And then looking at it from a wellness model of like, we all of us are in this environment, and we know that the environment affects our wellness and our well being. But we're not just looking at the problem, we're mm-hmm. looking at the prevention, the response, and then also how it all comes together. It's more of a holistic perspective. Yeah. So,
0: which makes sense for you.
1: Yeah. So, that was the thing. I was a psych undergrad, I was psych and Spanish undergrad, but then master's and my phd i'm like ah this fits more for me so the program that i was training literally was counseling psych counselor ed which means that the only additional courses i got outside of the counseling psych people was how to go be a professor of this stuff so i also know how to teach now yeah. Yes. <laughs> so that's you know. what my phd is in but okay. i also have a phd in life mm-hmm. and some good learning right it's important it's important and then you have your yoga stuff. That's 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 my real life career. This PhD stuff is just a side hustle. <laughs> <laughs> it's to I pay for that. the yoga career. Yeah, hmm, the <laughs> yoga. So I think here's how I would describe me: the yoga and just the science of yoga, like that whole full eight limbs mm-hmm. and everything you can know. It's like this study of self is really what informs everything else that I do, right? everything that I do. So even as a therapist, you know, every now and then I try to add in more clients and it's, it's tough because right now is a very tough time for everybody. Um, I love all of it. I love the yoga. I love the therapy. I love the mommy that I do as a mommy and as a wife and as a mentor and as a daughter and a cousin, you know, and a crazy friend, you know, all of these, I get to do a lot of stuff in life, y'all. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, and I, th- I think that's
0: awesome. I think that's what makes, I mean, right, like, I think that's what makes you, we're talking about your fan base, you know, people be so attracted to you and so interested in what you have to say, because we're not hearing it, you know, otherwise, um, and I think that's a big deal. So talking, so kind of talking about that, like, talk about what, you know, this morning breath, this marriage breath, right, that is kind of, which kind of came out of quarantine and COVID, right?
1: I like that you know best. I like that. (laughs) You don't notice that I like all of your posts? (laughs) And do you notice how random I am? I am such a random being. So that's it. And and I just, a lot of times I'm just like, if I have a thought and it's a good thought or I perceive it as a good, I'm like, why wouldn't I share that with the world? Like, seriously, I feel like anything I know, if you want to know, here, take it. It's just all, it's all good. It's for all of us. So that's how the morning breath started where- as soon as COVID hit and we were shut down, I mean, my phone was blowing up messages, people were contacting me, everybody's freaking out, right? And I was like, look y'all, <laughs> every day at 10 a.m. we'll get on Facebook and we'll I'll just teach you different breathing techniques. I'll just give you different tools, just stuff that I've studied because mm-hmm. I feel like I study to live. And then I teach from my overflow. Right. I just got all this overflow. And so I started doing it and I didn't I didn't plan on doing it like throughout the rest of the whole year. I just thought it would be, you know, a couple weeks or something. <laughs> and then yeah. it just continued. And then, you know, what really made committed me to continue um, when I would get messages, people inboxing mm-hmm. and they would be from, I mean, anywhere in the world. They're like, yeah, one of my friends, I stumbled upon you, blah, blah, blah. And what you said to me, like, thank you. And then I mean, like really deeply going into this is a situation I was in, you know, suicidal idea, you know, Mm -hmm. like all these different things. And, And they'll say this one thing you said. And so once I start, I start getting so many of those, like my inbox was just blowing up. And so then I would commit to my morning meditations to just receive from the universe what Maybe somebody out there needs something in particular to them. So universe, go ahead and tell me and I'll drop it. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. And I
0: think, but, and I I think that shows right. The power in it, Um, you know, and so, and, and you've, yeah, and you have like a wide variety of topics, right? Sometimes it was, you know, stuff that was relevant to what was going on, um, you know, and, and I think obviously, you know, with the Black Lives Matter protests, you know, after um, George Floyd's killing, uh, after Breonna Taylor's killing, you know. Um, so kind of, you know, maybe talking a little bit about that, like where were, I don't know, your thoughts, your the reactions from the community,
1: kind of where you were coming from, you know, in those spaces. Oh, no problem. Um, it's probably a topic that is just, to me, it should be intimately connected to all of us. Just, you know, one person because I am you and you are me. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I'm not separate from anyone. I don't care who's being killed. I don't care what race they are. I'm not separate from anyone. And so I, I I really feel like I kind of choke up like I tear up just thinking about now just humanity and actually all beings, not just, you know, humans, but animals, just all beings, the trees, you know, everything. I I feel so deeply, and intimately connected to it that, and that's one thing I, I learned as a child, I always felt kind of this clairvoyance, you know, like this mm-hmm. medium sense of just connected to all things. And so during that time, the beautiful part for me is just recognizing that we're all like chemicals reacting, right? We're just organisms responding to our environment. And how can I frame it for people? How can I help people see that, you know, this is us, this is, this is what's happening to them is happening to you. Whether you're I'll, y'all, I'll, I'll do these writings. Like I take a journal, I have a journal and I literally take it everywhere I go. <laughs> I, I always have my journal with me because I feel like, and I always say, Oh God, what'd you tell ta- what You got me, tell me something good. Like I'll get these ideas. I'm like, Oh, that was good. That must've been from God. So the universe will give me great things. And so During that time, all I wanted to do was offer to people just some ways to look at it where we didn't like take it to heart or let the anger, the anger that was present, because we know anger, you know, all emotions are here to inform us Mm -hmm. and anger comes to tell us about our values, right? And how people can connect so deeply to their values. And then that's where the anger comes. So that means it means a lot to me, right? So then that's what we saw the anger. So just offering to people like everything you're experiencing and feeling, like, it's real, but it's not just real for you. It's real for all of us, right? So my approach and my perspective on all of that, I'll, I'll tell you a foundation that I have is that I have always been passionate about all people groups. Mm-hmm. And I've always studied different people groups. And I teach, I've taught for years, social and cultural diversity and looking at like how the we, the MWE of it all, MWE, right? The me and the we and teaching my students about how do I look at MWE And so when all that was coming about, my words and communication were just to all of us as a family, not to black people, not to white people, not to Latino people, not to Asian people. It's to us as a family to essentially mind your kind, like celebrate the kind that you are, meaning, okay, I'm biracial. I have a black mom and a white dad. I'm from the U.S. I'm from, um, you know, the. I'm from Illinois, you know, like all these things that make me my kind, my KIND playing on that also mind your kind in that we all can be kind, but we can celebrate the kind that we are and not feel bad for you. You're a white female. Okay. That's beautiful. That's good for you. And I'm different, but different doesn't equate to deficient. So how do I mind my kind in a way that I celebrate everybody being different? The kind is Okay. But I also recognize I'm an able-bodied person and my kind gets a lot of access and privilege compared to someone that mm-hmm. is in a wheelchair. So minding my kind means advocating for those people who need to get a wheelchair up to the building. Right. So it's just so many things for us to be aware on. And so in that situation, like minding our kind with the George floor, George floor Brianna Taylor, it's hurting all of us when we don't, you know, when we don't advocate for equity. Well, it's, it, right. it damages us all. So I know you probably didn't ask me to tell that 50 million, 11 long story, <laughs> but that's how I sum it up.
2: <laughs> no, I love, there was a part where you said anger shows our values. And uh, I feel like this podcast was birthed out of anger, which doesn't sound positive when I say it that way. Um, But we've talked about it before. I mean, Elena had had this podcast idea before I came around, but I think it really started to get like some gravity underneath it because we just started getting pissed off, to be honest, about social justice issues, about environmental things, things that things that ended up affecting, you know, what we do at Hope Harbor when it comes to like sexual violence and trauma, but really just like an anti-oppression lens um, and then an intersectional approach to that. And like, we just started making a list of like, what are we pissed off about in the world? (laughs) Um, And that's really how like we've started creating our episodes of like, You know, we wanted to do episodes about, you know, health and wellness because we don't feel like people know about it. We wanted to do episodes about BDSM culture because we hate that it's seen as this negative taboo thing when it can be healthy for certain people. And so I love that you put anger just shows your values because it's a much better way (laughs) for us to describe (laughs) how, how we put the podcast. And then why we hold such value in it is Mm -hmm. I feel like it was our expression of, okay, instead of us just screaming about it at the office, uh, y'all give us a platform so we can scream about it to other people.
0: Yeah, I also wrote that down. Anger shows our values.
1: Well, every, every emotion is our friend. It's a messenger. It comes to tell us. And so when anger shows up, there's something that you're really loving or something that you see an injustice happening, right? So when you see an injustice happening, if, if it's connected to your heart, then there should be some anger. I don't know if you all have ever heard me talk about my middle daughter, who is my fire. But I always tell people this, like, you know, when people reference young people that get angry or they have this this, you know, this rage inside of them, I say we got to tap into that. So for my middle daughter, I always tell people that I love that she has I call it her passion passion. And whoa, do I need to channel it sometimes? Whoa, that passion! But that means she sees. That means she cares. That that means she sees an un- injustice somewhere. And the best part is to be aware of it and to say, "Where is this injustice?" And then, what do I have the influence, or the power, or the ability, or capacity to in- to do an influence in a different way, where that I can see justice for all? So I'll say, "This girl and her passion." And the thing she gets upset about, she could either make this world just, or she could burn this mother down. <laughs> or do one or the other. I hope you all are using your anger to not burn this mother down, but to make it just, okay? <laughs> We're trying. Yeah.
0: yeah. But I think though, you know, because yeah, we do often, right? Like, um attribute anger as this yeah negative emotion as this wrong emotion like it's it's um invalidating like you shouldn't have anger right everyone should just be like you know mm, kumbaya and like you know and and so there becomes shame with that response you know and i think especially when talking about um, injustices in the world, you know, because it can become right. Like so difficult to have a conversation with someone to grow, right. To grow individually and as a group and, you know, and just see the other side's perspective. Um, sometimes, sometimes the other side's perspective is really problematic and we don't really need to see it, but, you know, and so we, you know, like we, we think that anger is like really problematic. And so you saying that, You know, that anger shows our values. I think, you know, and then Mel connecting it to like the podcast. um, I think too, you know, yeah, you saying, oh, let's like, you have these thoughts, the universe, you know, is telling you these thoughts um, and you need to share it. You know, there's, yeah, there's power in that. Um, There's power in there. I love that. I love that for sure. And, and yeah, just the individual journey too, like on your own anger and then. Right. That's like one thing. And then having to maybe see where other people's anger comes from. Um,
1: hey, let's do let's do a little activity together. Then. OK. Ready? Yes. You're like, ooh, OK. So here this is what with, with helping people just come on, y'all. It's it's such good life. We all here for each other. Listen, when you talk about this anger and you said like people who have different values and some <laughs> that we don't even need to hear. <laughs> I want you to think about and feel about in your body, when was the very first time you felt that anger in your body? One, when was it and where in your body did you feel it?
0: Are you wanting us to answer? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, my my first thought, and of course, I guess I can't say this was like literally the first time I'm feeling anger, but, you know, because now I have like injustices like at the top of my brain. So I think about being like a kid in school and, um, and teachers asking for boys to do something that's like somewhat physical, you know, they're like, can you roll this TV across the room? And it's like, it's literally on wheels, like. You know, why does like, what makes you think this like 12 year old boy, you know, can do it better than me. Um, and yeah, and just feeling that I, I, I feel like I felt it in my chest. Yes. I often, I often feel a lot of anger in my hips, but I felt like thinking back on that. I feel it in my chest.
1: Mm. So let me just jump in on that real quick. Just like that experience, y'all, and just how our our biography, our experiences become our biology, right? And that experience of you noticing that and the direction that it could have went inside of you, where it could have had you feel like, oh gosh, girls are weak. Like girls don't get invited to do things like that. And girls, which happens, right? We hear right. that. But girls, they just so docile and they just can't physically do much, right? <laughs> we can adopt that story, that narrative. Or like you, you're like, Mm-mm, mm, this don't feel right. Uh-uh. Nope. You know, you don't accept that. And so that's where you channel that anger and you say, okay, what am I going to do? And I'm sure I'm certain, and I don't know your whole little story of how you arrived to this place in this time, in this very moment, but I guarantee you it's been showing up right over the year.
0: <laughs> right. For sure. Oh yeah. I think I even said something to the, I mean, I'm sure now that I think about it, I probably was younger than 12, but yeah, like saying something like, why can't I do it? You know? And like watching that, like uncomfortability of the teacher be like, uh, Mm-hmm. I love
2: it. What about you, sis? Um, my, the first thing I thought of, and I feel like I was in like sixth grade, but I might be wrong. And it was when Harry Potter got big and I'm like <laughs> the biggest fantasy nerd still. Um, and I remember I went to a Catholic school um, and we were reading Harry Potter. And I remember my teacher came up and ripped this book. <gasps> and it was the first time I am like, Debbie do-gooder in school like I'm like yes sir yes ma'am like I want to be sitting at the front of the class and kissing your butt um and I stood up and I screamed like it was oh it was bad um and I feel like I always feel anger like in my gut I feel a lot of things in my gut though um like my Enneagram type I'm an eight like I feel it all like in that that gut instinct in my stomach it's like when I'm anxious it's in my stomach as well so let's pause.
1: Okay. Cree, do you do Enneagram? Oh, yes. And I want to tell y'all my number, but I might have to search. I have it written down. So I think, I, I don't know why I think I might be a seven or eight or something. Because I remember. Seven was what my was going to guess. A seven or eight. I remember having this discussion with a friend that's a one. And it's like, oh. Yeah, you know, I'm like, not a all one. I was, <laughs> we ain't ones. We ain't ones. Okay. <laughs> 8 I'm an eight wing seven.
2: And I'm ai am a three wing two. And so an eight, an eight is like the challenger. It's like you always see Um, they're usually like the most abrasive of types. And I don't say that in a bad way. I like being abrasive. Um, but they're usually the person that's always like fighting for the underdog, um, and like sees their calls and has to go for it. Usually they're like brutally honest, sometimes not always in the best way. Um, and then a seven is more of like the fun loving, like there's always like a, you have the fear of missing out on everything you got. Yeah. You want to do everything. Um, And so the eight never wants to be controlled and the seven never feels satisfied. So I'm like a good mix of those two.
1: I'm I'm just sitting and trying to remember, I can't, I'll have to look, I have it in some notes somewhere. Right. But I love it. I love the Enneagram. I love, I love any tool that lets you explore you. It's this Mm -hmm. art of introspection that we get to, you know, have fun with. And I love that you brought up how it can be on either end and how everything Everything could be something, depending on the context, everything that we can think of can be, this is great or, oh, this is awful. Just depending True. on the context, right? Yeah.
2: Right. Well, and it depends on how healthy you are. Like, I, I really like the Enneagram so much compared to other tools because it shows you like, it. you can't just say, oh, I'm this way. So they, therefore I'm just going to rest on that. It's like, there's always room for growth and like knowing other people is like I know Elena's type now, so then I can- talk to her and react to her in ways that are most appropriate for her type. It's just, it's just caring more about people being interpersonal.
0: And it's really helpful. I think for people in therapy, like you can like use it with clients and stuff. Um, you know, cause, uh, Although I think I'm a little bit more knowledgeable than my therapist about Enneagram, but I've definitely encouraged her to, to be more into it. But like, for me, it's helped me give a name to these emotions, these things that I experience, Right. And then be like, you know, like everyone's different. Like other people don't experience this the way you do. And that's okay. You know, um, that kind of stuff, which I appreciate about like, you know, uh, horoscope
2: and stuff too, which it's, you know, you make, it, it is what you make it. You know, I was about to say that too. I did that <laughs> with my Zodiac too. I'm like, I'm an
1: Aries. I'm sorry. But <laughs> well, you know, what's so beautiful about that. Like you said, when you put a name to it, like on one end, we can, when you can name it, you can tame it. It's like, you mm-hmm. can identify if there's a problem, you can identify the problem. So then it's easier to, um, adopt a solution, but then sometimes we can name it and tame it and then use that and say, well, this is just the way that I am. We get a fixed mindset and say, well, this is what I have. And so that's why it's showing up this way. Right. So everything is about finding balance. We love balance. It's about finding that balance in the middle, because when we're too far this in or too far this in, we get those extremes that, Right. "Mm," right. Yeah.
0: So, okay. So I'm thinking back to how you, you, you had said, you know, you've always been like someone who felt, everything, you know, you felt like the universe, you felt, and you know, connection to animals and stuff. Um, is that kind of what led you to want to be, you know, a therapist to, to get into psychology and clinical work, counseling kind of work, even to be a teacher and educator?
1: All of it. Like literally as a child, the clairvoyance, like the mediumship, the kind of spirit communication within me, always an empath. Mm -hmm. always as a child, as a little girl, just really feeling other people. And when I say like my grandma would say, I cry about everything. Like she used to tell me, like I would cry because I would feel other people's pain. Right. And as a little girl, I didn't, I didn't know what to do with that or how to put it. Or, you know, I didn't know. And I wasn't, there wasn't, you know, you think about everything and how environment waters or grows something, or it can make something stagnant or, or just completely kill it. Right. I wasn't in an environment that allowed that to grow my intuition, that the aspect, that clairvoyant aspect of me. And so I used to look for ways that I could, it's like, it's welcomed. So in school, um, just being a student allowed me to like show up, like I, I loved information. And so I used to try to find ways to direct that energy of like, If I learn everything that there is to know about something, you know, it's okay for me to know a lot of things or feel a lot of things because it's in a more, I don't know, a a formal way or a standardized way Mm because I used to feel people. I literally used to feel people and it wasn't okay for me to do that or to point out like if somebody walks in the room and I see an adult and I say, you're sad right now. What what are you sad about? You know, and they don't necessarily want that emotion to be discussed, but it's what I knew. I felt it. So ever since, I mean, literally as a, as a child, I remember that. And then I remember even going through school, K-12, I always said, I don't know what I'm going to do. All I know is I need to be with people. I need to, I need to be working with people. So especially little ones, especially children, so in love with them. Right. Mm -hmm. So it just, it, it was immediate that I was able to see my calling and see my creation and purpose of my creation as a child.
2: I just have a question about, you talk about, you know, you saw yourself as this clairvoyant child and I noticed you had said something about like, you didn't feel like it's fostered. How would you have liked it to have been fostered? And I say this technically from a personal standpoint, I feel like my child is a clairvoyant. He talks to spirits all the time and tells me about them. Um, And he's like this very empathetic, like empathetic soul. And I just like want to be able to like foster his needs as much as possible.
1: Um, so for example, you just said some of the things that I experienced. So as a child, when I like usually people who have some type of like relationship, like as a mediumship or clairvoyance, they you, you're afraid of the dark or you hear your mm. voices or, you know, see faces or something moving around your room or, you know, that nightlife, nightlife was challenging for me because the way it was framed around when I would talk about it to people in my life, it was like if they came from their creation story is very much rooted in, um, uh, Christianity, which it's like, there's this good or bad, you know, there's this dichotomy of good or bad, and that's not God, that's the devil. So then all those kind of stories were given to me as if it's the devil talking, you know, like instead of it's just my relationship with it all. And it is not dark at all. So I had nightmares and extreme nightmare, you know, like it, it all came together, but instead of communicating it as this, this dark, terrible thing for me, I think that if I would have just been asked questions to explore it further. So even yeah. like, as you say with your son, can he, ex- can you explore it in a different way with him? Like ask him questions. You know, what, what do you, I remember when my children were younger and they talk about having a friend, i was like, well, what's she got on, you know, mm-hmm. what's she wearing today? And, you know, and, and it's a beautiful way to just engage it instead of say, like, oh my gosh, don't don't talk, no, no, no one's in here, stop it. You know, it's just mm-hmm. it there was a lot of fear created in all of it. And then just this idea of like, and I, I still today don't believe in this idea of that there's a devil, a dark force, this dark entity coming after us. I don't believe that. And that's and I know that that's not what a lot of Christians think. And I ain't trying to upset no Christians, <laughs> but I don't believe in in the devil. I don't believe there's a dark force coming for us at all. Um, and I believe that, you know. Like I said, things can be good and not so good depending on the context. And so, um, when I think about like when fear rises up for me, like we all as humans, fear is more coming to tell us, uh, perhaps there's something you need to take action on, or perhaps there's something, a question you should be asking, but the clairvoyance. And if you could, with your baby boy and just explore more metaphysical stuff and, um, just talk about things and be sensitive to energy talk, you know, when you sense something and just be open to it. It's like you just open yourself up to it and not necessarily judging it because you can be open to some without evaluating it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like if I say right now, I feel warm in my stomach. I don't have to say, well, this is a feeling that I don't like or it's bad or it's just I feel warm in my stomach right now. What is what's going on? And just listening to it. Right. Right.
0: I love that. I love all of this so much, and I say it like especially too because I definitely also feel like I have these clairvoyant, you know, empath type of uh, you know feelings. Uh, this is the woo-woo stuff that I love talking about, you know, and and hearing you right like give suggestions for Mel for you know her son, but like also like for adults too, right? You know, like this idea of trusting what you feel not being afraid of yourself, right. Not being afraid of how you feel in your body. Cause I think that's where a lot of our like intuition gets stifled, you know, um, especially as like people who are uh, not men, um, uh, you know, is like, Oh, you, you know, this isn't real. You're overthinking it. Um, you know, like you try to find right. Some rationale to discredit yourself. Um, and that, I think then manifests in other ways too, right? That can cause issue.
1: Let me tell you what I love that you said. (laughs) People that are not men. Um, (laughs) So if we speak on that, I just think about growing up and oh gosh. And even, I don't know if you all heard me, my morning breath that I'm talking about our moon cycle, Mm -hmm. right? And the gift of it. And how we've been socialized to just think, you know, oh, she must be on her period, you know, like that type of language. Mm -hmm. Like, think about that, feel about that. Like me as a woman and I I get this gift of this moon cycle or even if we take it to. And I know, again, I'm not trying to upset anybody in their creation story, (laughs) but just Eve. I just talked about this in one of my classes, y'all, because even when we talk about the snake. Like if I bring up the snake, most of us have a negative experience with the snake because of that story about the snake to, yes, Eve to eat the apple. That is, And Eve is the problem, right? right? The woman is the problem. The woman is bringing, well, she didn't make him bite that apple. Come on now. But we'll make it like the woman is the problem. And then her having a cycle is her punishment for, you know, just all of it. Like, who, what? Who told that story? What? My, a man. My, that's my, who. who. You know a man wrote that. (laughs) My moon cycle is a gift to me. It actually, I'm more open and more sensitive to things around me. There's a clairvoyance, a clairaudience, a claircognizance. There's just so much that's gifted to me during that time. And then my emotions that are coming and moving like the weather, you you say that's a bad thing when actually they're coming to inform. Probably could help you out too, mister. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So yes, just the negative stuff, like all the negativity we can attach to that when it's just so much gift in it all. Right. Oh, yeah. I love that you pointed that out. You're,
0: I have not heard that many people point out to like this, like negative feeling we have towards snakes is completely rooted in religion. Now, there are other religions, too, besides Christianity that um, are negative towards snakes. Um, but it is like, the, like to have a fear of snakes is completely irrational. They're like not a main predator of ours. Um, I say this too. I own, I have snakes as pets. Um, and yeah, and it's like, you know, the, these things are like, my cats are way more dangerous, <laughs> you know, like it <laughs> makes no sense. Um, but yeah, yeah. I'm also not that worried about, uh, I, I I appreciate the discussion of calling out the issues of, uh, systemic Christianity.
2: We've, we've said stuff in other podcasts that have been much worse about, uh, religions (laughs) races, sexes. I mean, we've, we've gone there. So, so we're not afraid of it. We want to, one of our future podcasts, we want to do an entire thing about, um, how sexual, uh, violence has been perpetuated throughout the Bible. And then we also want to go into like purity culture and how I'm purity like virginity culture myth. Just, the virginity myth just helps rape culture. So yeah, we're
1: going there. We're, we're getting there. Uh, don't get me started on that. Cause I was, I, I could pull up notes right now. The other day in meditation, it was, mm. I wrote down, what is your sexual story? Like the story about sex with you. And I wrote, I literally wrote this down and I have like a list of questions. Cause I was like, I should just do a, I should just do a marriage breath, but specifically for people and relationships and how for non-men, that story that was told with you and how that's still affecting your sexual life today. I'm serious, I was thinking about yeah. that. But then I gotta add something about the snake. How the snake represents <laughs> rejuvenation mm-hmm. and regeneration and new beginnings. So y'all remember I said I got a daughter that, that that's my fire. She comes home, once she turned 18, y'all, she just started getting tattoos. Like tattoos, it seemed like every other day she had a new tattoo. I mean, here, 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 you know, like, all over her body. <laughs> One day she comes home, She's got this snake going up the back of her spine. It's a red snake. (laughs) I love it. But not like in a Kundalini way, not in a Kundalini way. It's kind of, it's, I don't know what way. I was like, what does this mean? She was like, oh, new beginnings. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) New beginnings, mom, duh.
2: I like that so much better though.
0: But really, though, you know, and in in other cultures, snakes represented fertility. It's also Mm -hmm. like a really phallic symbol. So like that's some stuff to like unpack as well. But um, but yeah. I love hearing the stuff that you like talk about and, you know, like what you teach in class. One of our coworkers, Megan, uh, was one of your students. And, you know, and so I know you as a yoga student, right? You know, like being with you in yoga. Um, and so I just, I love you being able to write, like speak this type of truth, because I don't think a lot of people, yeah, hear it, you know, especially in like a university setting. You got to, you got to take, take off those blinders, you know, and expose it all.
1: I really, I really, you all, I really ha- I hope that every student that comes into space where I am, my goal is to empower them to empower themselves to see that, like how magical they are and how all of this, like you brought up your clairvoyancy, all of us have that. All of us have it. It's like we're just out of touch with it. But I hope all of my students leave, leave the space with me seeing themselves better, right? And even my life as faculty, as a professor, as a doctor, you know, students always say to me, like, they just, they can't believe that I come in and I speak and I'm like, I'm, I'm just a person just like you are. And just to talk about these things and explore these things, like who decides what that should be like? Like who decided that I can't come to class and talk to you all and connect that relationship to the way you think your belief system, your, the biology of your belief, how it's all connected. Who decided, who said I can't talk about that? And so my students, like, I'll tell you, this, in class the other day, I always do wow or wonder at the end. And there was one young man who, and most people would probably see him as a typical, like, athlete or maybe a a, a fraternity type guy. (laughs) He says, my wow is you. He said, I sit in class with all these different professors. And usually after a little bit, I kind of check out but everything you want to say, I want to listen to. He's like, it's like you're real. And I'm like, exactly. And I am attuned to you and you are real to me. So what I'm talking to you about, I want to feel you and I want you to feel me. I want us to experience life together in this moment. He's like, I just never, I never experienced this before. Right? Yeah. What if all of us did that? What if all of us did that? Do you think
0: that, one of the reasons, because I think we could go into a lot of reasons, right? Like why we don't all do that
1: is like a fear of being vulnerable. I had a, a client say that the other day because she was talking to me and I said to her, um, she says sometimes I just feel like and she's only 15. You all She's magical. She says sometimes I feel like every environment and the people that I'm around, I have to change me and kind of adjust and adapt me so that I can be with those people and not let them see the things that they don't. I know that they don't like. So she was like, so so sometimes some days I feel like I don't even know who I am. I'm just adjusting to the different groups that I'm in. And so I asked her, we did kind of a little connection activity. I said, okay, what would that be like if you did it with with your the the people at your school or in your class? And she said that fear of being vulnerable, the fear of like people really seeing who I am is just a fear of them rejecting me. Mm -hmm. So essentially, we just don't want to be rejected. Mm-hmm. And we want all of us, because of that wiring for co-regulation, in deeply rooted within us, we need that connection. And so that's why we fear mm-hmm. not having it. Right? If we don't have connection, we die. Each of us, right? Yeah, I was about to ask, like, oh, where does that
0: fear of rejection, you know, come from? Right? Like, you know, because I'm thinking, like, like what happened as a child? Was this generational trauma? But. Yeah, like it's because we have to have connection, and we know that, so it's like a survival thing. But then it's like you're perpetuating the issue, right? Because you're not being vulnerable, which I link to then being not being authentic, and yeah, then how are you going to connect with people, right? You're still going to be longing. I'm like drawing a circle here with my hand. Uh, You know, you're going to be like longing, right, for this connection because you're yeah to try to protect yourself. You're like still
1: you're stuck. Real, you got it. Connection, the one thing that we all so deeply need and the thing that most of us will avoid because of that, that cycle of the fact that like even me sitting here talking to you all at any moment, I could say something and you disagree and then I could experience as a rejection. But even though you're disagreeing with me, my myself, like my, my ego and not just my ego, but my whole self wants to be connected to you. So because we disagree, that could feel a little bit like I'm we're not connected. Mm-hmm. When in actuality, that's we all want that. We we need it to live. We need it to live. Why do you think y'all, you gotta hear me talk about these people and these crazy fanatics from uh different sports teams, how <laughs> crazy they are, right? Yeah. It's like they belong to a tribe, right? Mm-hmm. I always look at these people. So mind you, I lived in Michigan, so y'all know about Michigan fans. Yeah, very little. I'm not a sports fan, but my sister works at ESPN. So there you go. I'm not a sports fan either, but the craziness of it all, right? It's yeah. just people experiencing connect. You would think these people are actually on the team. Right. I'm like, dude, you ain't never been on a basketball team in your life, but you're, <laughs> screaming. you're screaming like you the point guard, right? <laughs> yeah. Or like they don't,
2: they won't, they have to wear the same underwear every day or something or else it's going to cause, you know, the greatest. Yeah. A really
1: interesting issue. Yeah. yeah. Here's, I, uh... where, here's where I see that. It's just all a craving and a desire for connection. That's all it is. I did this
2: exercise and this was, oh gosh, I can't remember how long ago, but it was with a therapist. And and she had this thing where she would call it a mask update. And she talked about like society would teach us to whenever we go into a new scenario, she's like, no one really knows the real you. There's you and then there's everybody's versions of you. And she talked about like in different scenarios or different people, you literally, you go in usually quiet with this person or with this group and you kind of sit back and then you figure out like, okay, I need to go home and like paper mache this mask together that fits who they want me to be. And so she made me do this inventory of try to think of every mask that you have and then put a name to it. She goes, they can be as goofy as you want them to be, but name them and then say like, where do you wear these masks? And then the goal was, as you feel comfortable, try to cut your masks down. And she's like, there's always going to be a certain level. You're not going to be like wilding out at work because obviously that's a part of you that doesn't need to belong there. Um, And she's like, so you're always going to have a few. And she's like, but most people, she's like, when I ask them to do this activity, they'll come up with like 30 or something. And she's like, and, you know, then you can never authentically be yourself if you're consistently changing your mask or whenever you get multiple groups in the same place. And then you're doing this juggle of your anxiety of like, how can I be these two people at the same time? Um, And so it's something that still sticks with me. And this is like 10 years later that I still keep this list of like, am I wearing these masks? What are they? What are they named? And then I try to challenge myself, to like slowly drop them. Like, okay, I like this side of me better so how can I wear that mask in front of these people? Um, and I really liked it. It was something that's always stuck with me and I continually use it.
1: <laughs> it's just like archetypes, right? You know, different archetypes. It, it, there's more to us. Like there's, like you said, the wild and outside and this side and this, it's just archetypes. And that's, that's beautiful. It's like, we are so many and we are one, right? And then the, here's what I will tell you though. When you turn 40, you don't give a damn about all those masks. (laughs) I'm just, I'm being silly, but I feel like once I hit 40, I was just like, you know what? I'm too old to be somewhere. I don't want to be. I'm too old to be acting some way that I know that I don't feel like being. And I'm too old. You know, like once I Mm -hmm. hit 40, I'm like, girl, that's it. That's it. So go just wait till you get to 40.
2: (laughs) It makes me look forward to turning 40 a lot more. Do you feel like that comes from, though, just being
0: exhausted and realizing that it doesn't work, that, you know, right. Being this inauthentic self, it doesn't give you the benefit.
1: I think it, get, it this is how I see it, because I'm 45 now, but I see it as I've had enough. It's kind of like collection of data. You know, I've collected data long. enough. <laughs> I've collected some longitudinal data <laughs> that shows like some things that is just not me. And then it's like, I'm at a point now where like, I really, really like me. Like Mm -hmm. once upon a time, we all liked ourselves as children. And then the world started telling us who we needed to be. And then we didn't necessarily like it all the time. But, But I'm back to that little girl before the world started telling me who to be. I like me, you know? And I like me even more when I show up just as I am and not how other people want me to be. So I don't know why I just feel like that's the number 40 is like where I hit it, hit the point where I'm like, you know what? I've had enough experiences. You know, I've had those life experiences that have told me that you don't like when you're showing up or concerned about what others think. Kind of like what the four agreement tells you. It's like at 40, that's when the four agreements really like hit home to me. Like, you know what? I don't have to make assumptions. I can do my personal best. Right. My word is so important. Like all of those things really like set with me, I think around 40. Yeah.
2: I feel like that's definition of success. When you like get back to that point of like truly being yourself and being like, well, this is it. This is it. This is me. I'm happy. Like, I feel like that's like true definition of success. No matter what you're doing career wise. I don't know. That's how I would define it at least. That's like the goal to hit. That's good.
0: And thinking about too, you know, saying like, Oh, that's like, you know, kids are really proud of themselves. They love themselves. Like I I can see that being, um, I keep using the word stifled, but you know, in children, right? Like that like it, it comes off as arrogance, it comes off as annoying, you know, and then the adults, because they've now right, have um processed all these negative ideas about who we are and how we should act. Right. And I think, especially for, uh, you know, kids who are not boys that, you know, and, and I, I'll explain that a little bit, but you know, that, yeah, like that, that we, we almost view that as annoying. Oh, that kid has too much confidence. That kid's, you know, arrogant. they are know it all. Right. And really it's like, no, that's what that looks like if we didn't consume and ingest all of these negative ideas Like, how do you, yeah. Like tap into that. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: Cause yeah. And that's like, I guess you can get into like inner child work, right? Our conversation with Dr. Cree Dye went so well that we had enough content for two episodes. I hope you enjoyed part one and stay tuned for part two. Once again, thanks for hanging with us. And remember, we're still not asking for it. This podcast has been brought to you by Hope Harbor, a sexual trauma recovery center located in South Central Kentucky. Special thanks to Girl Tones for our intro. Listen to the rest of their song, Can't Pause, and others wherever you stream or buy music.